Hi, everyone. Welcome to the January 26, 2018 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Gazzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Hope you enjoyed our new open to the program. It's kind of <laughs> fitting that we're kicking off our 26th season on January 26th with a brand new open. So hope you hope you enjoy that. Thanks to our editor, Simon Kubica, who took care of that for us. Let's get a quick take on the renaming of downtown Denver's YMCA location, ruffling a few feathers. The facility is set to begin remodeling in February, and once reopened, will carry the name of Benjamin F. Stapleton Jr., reigniting the debate over the legacy of the family name. Patty Calhoun from Westward. Well, let's see here. We're back to the naming uh, issue and the, the legacy of the father, the sins of the father, and, and, and we're talking about Jr. here, so it's a different person. What do you make of the kerfuffle? At a certain point, this has to stop, or else Walker Stapleton is going to be in a lot of trouble <laughs> running for governor of Colorado. In this case, it's the son, not, I mean, it is the heir, not Benjamin Stapleton, who was the KKK member when he was the mayor of Denver. So let's acknowledge what this man has done, the good deeds. If the Y wants to name itself after him, that's just fine, unless he wants to change his name to maybe Benjamin. <laughs> that could be an option. Uh, Michael Fields joins us from Americans for Prosperity. Uh, what do you think about the whole naming idea? I mean, it, it, this is uh, naming buildings in honor of folks happens has happened for hundreds of years, but it's come under a lot more scrutiny, it seems, lately. What do you think about this particular issue in Denver? Well, I agree with Patty on this, that everybody's their own person, and you know there is that issue with the KKK and, and Mayor Stapleton uh, back in the day, but uh, his son, from everything that we saw, is somebody who's on the board of the Y, he helped people around Denver a lot. Um, and so I think, you know, what your parents do shouldn't really impact how you are. And so I think it's a good idea. I think it keeps the discussion going. Um, obviously, the Stapleton, you know, discussion isn't going gonna, isn't gonna to stop here. Um, but, I, but I agree with Patty on it. Penfield Tate joins us, attorney with QTAC Rock, also a longtime state lawmaker. Names, legacies, be not on a building. What do you make of it? You know, and it's unfortunate this has occurred because the Y is a great organization in, in this community. And this this was a board I actually served on years ago, so I understand what they're going through. And Patty's right, Michael's right. It's the son, it's not the father who was the KKK member. But we there's this whole issue around sensitivity now and just being cognizant of your surroundings and what's going on. We've talked about it with the whole gentrification piece and how the city's responding, but it's just odd that this comes up at a time where Forest City is actively and intentionally trying to phase out the use of the name Stapleton and everything they're doing there in that development. So it's just, it, it's just, it's unfortunate that the why, and I appreciate why they're honoring Benjamin Jr., but it's unfortunate that this has occurred, um, just given the overall environment. John Bowen with Five Points News. I'll, I'll expose my real big geekdom right here. I know in Star Trek lore, the Klingons would say seven generations that the person will have to bear the shame of the father. I don't think it's going to be seven generations for this one. But how long does the Stapleton issue uh, become a big deal in Denver because of what happened with uh, not junior but senior? Well, and, 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 and in, in deference to just a member of the KKK, he was the Ku Klux Klan Grand Wizard. He he was the Grand Dragon. He's the guy that would uh, march up and down uh, Broadway with the Klan in full regalia. Uh, and he made sure that everybody who was on city council and who was in the state legislature was a member of the Klan. And we're not talking about hundreds of years ago. We're, well, almost 100 now. We're talking about the 20s, but time passes. Um, but at the same time, as, as Penn mentioned, I was on the board of the East Denver Y and the Downtown Y. 
Um, and as a matter of fact, I'm a 30-year member of the downtown Y, and we go three times a week and play basketball and lift and whatever. Um, I just think if the membership says no, then perhaps there are other people who are more worthy. Um, I know they, the family gives a lot, and, um, and that should be recognized as well. But as, as Penn mentioned, the sensitivity issue is, is, a, big, is a big deal. And, and, and I, don't think, I don't think the Y should have to go through that drama when this is kind of like the, the ultimate rainbow coalition kind of building. Immigration protections are at issue this week in a debate between Denver Mayor Michael Hancock and federal authorities. The Department of Justice sent letters to Denver and 22 other governments requesting proof that the city is not withholding information about detained immigrants. This issue made headlines the same week that Mayor Hancock decided to not attend a White House function. Patty, we saw a lot of headlines about this, first about an invitation and, and declining the invite in Twitter. Is Mayor Hancock picking a right fight? Well, he's not alone in this fight. You know, a year ago, when we first were hearing about the whole sanctuary city argument, the mayor was kind of waffling on whether or not Denver was sanctuary or just simply welcoming. And the fact was, by federal definition and ICE's definition, Denver was a sanctuary city and remains a sanctuary city. So that debate went on for a while, and then in August, we finally had the proclamation. We did officially decide what we were going to do to not have city employees comply with ICE um, requests, which are unconstitutional. I mean, we have to remember that you are not supposed to go into federal, into courthouses and snag people who are trying to see that justice is done. I mean, David's talked about that very eloquently. So good that Hancock, after some waffling last year, was very strong on this, but he wasn't alone. I mean, they were, he was in D.C. with a mayor's group, and several people decided they were not going to go to the White House over this. Michael, it's 2018, it's an election year, and immigration, as always, is a big topic. But when you see Mayor Hancock uh, take the stand, does it pit Denver against other parts of Colorado who might be looking at immigration a little bit differently, and does it have some political ramifications, especially in a year like this? I think it does. I mean, I think it's a political calculation that Mayor Hancock was making here. But let's remember, you know, on one hand, the Trump administration said they were going to go after sanctuary cities. On the other hand, Denver City Council last year came out and said that, you know, basically they weren't going to go along with, you know, asking people their immigration status after they're arrested. And so this showdown was going to happen. It was kind of set up to happen and it'll continue. I think it'll escalate. But also remember, this isn't happening in a, in a vacuum, right? So you have frustration by some people about there being no DACA fix. You have frustration over on the other side of there's no wall being built right now. Um, and so both sides are very passionate about immigration issue. Um, I think they both think it's a political winner for their, their base. Um, but I, I would have to say I am disappointed with Mayor Hancock and how he handled it. I think that he you know, is entitled to his opinion. He should have showed up to the White House, had a discussion, shared with uh, you know, the Trump administration what he disagreed with. I think it sets a bad precedent to say, look, if we disagree with you, we're not even going to show up and have this conversation. And I don't think that he has to run up and, and you know, give, uh, give President Trump a hug like Chris Christie gave Obama. But uh, I think Denver citizens would expect the mayor to to do everything that they can and not have those other political ramifications and, and really, you know, voice his opinion, but at least have dialogue. Penn, one of my favorite scenes from the uh, Band of Brothers miniseries was uh, a part where the, the, the main character, uh, Winters, uh, said, hey, you salute, the you salute the rank, not the man. Uh, is this a situation where Mayor Hancock should have saluted the office, but not necessarily the man? I don't think that's a requirement. I, I, you know, this is an invitation, and invitations by definition 
can be accepted or declined. This mayor declined uh, for a variety of reasons, and he articulated them. There's an interesting thing about this whole debate that's going on, and I think the mayor is probably in good company. And, and although I'm sure there was a political calculation, I, I think his position is not only reflective of where Denver is, I think it's reflective of where the state is for a variety of reasons. We, we have a heavy reliance on our agricultural industry and economy, and a lot of that is driven by immigrant labor forces. And so even in rural Colorado, they've got some issues with some of these mandates, particularly, you know, it's interesting, this kind of flips on its head the whole notion of states' rights, how it's been argued in the past. Now you have the federal government saying immigration enforcement is our responsibility. We're articulating a new policy. We don't have the money to implement the new policy we're articulating. So we're telling you, local governments, that we're basically appropriating your money and making you spend your local and state taxpayer dollars to implement a policy we want to see enforced. And I think local governments and states have a right to say, no, if you want to do this, fine, you finance it, you staff it, you do it, and particularly when courts have indicated that some of the things you're doing are illegal, we don't have to go there. We feel we're fully compliant with federal law now, and if you want to implement a different policy, knock yourselves out, but you have to pay for it. And so I think in a way, the mayor and other mayors are protecting their local constituents by taking that stand. John, let's piggyback on that point. Uh, is, the, is Mayor Hancock and the city council taking the appropriate stand for the citizenry of Denver? I, th I think so. Um, everybody has kind of uh, uh, danced around everything. This is fear-mongering. This is distraction. You know, the White House has so many different issues uh, that it's going through right now, um, not only with immigration but with marijuana. This is, this is akin to that. And so, again, it's states' rights issues. Um, I just think, you know, the photo op that uh, the president wanted uh, these uh, mayors to take part in, I think Hancock was perfectly right, and, uh, and I think the other mayors were as well, to just say, you know what, uh, head, off to, head off to Switzerland or Sweden or wherever you're going. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to it. Uh, we have uh, our, our second topic, a newly released political climate poll from the University of Colorado at Boulder shows Democrat Jared Polis and Republican Tom Tancredo as, quote, frontrunners in the gubernatorial race. While over half of survey Democrats and Republicans are still, quote, undecided, Tancredo raked in 25% in the poll and Polis raked in 24%. Uh, Michael, this poll was done uh, officially in late November, so it's pretty early. Uh, and you could, it's easy to say that Polis and Tancredo have a lot of name recognition. But if you are in the camps of the other folks in the primaries on in either side of it, are you worried or, hey, this is January, I'm not, this, this doesn't mean anything? I'm very worried for, for two reasons. One is on the Republican side, Tom Tancredo has a ceiling, but that ceiling's in the high 20s, right? And now recently you had the candidates come out, four of them saying they're going to petition on the ballot. So you have Robinson, Mitchell, Stapleton, and Kaufman who said they're going to petition on the ballot, and that means that at least one or two more will come out of the assembly. So now you have a five- or six-person race with Tom Tancredo with a solid group of support. Uh, and so I just don't see how, if it's going to be a six-person race, unless, you know, Kaufman or Stapleton can make it a two-person race, which is going to be difficult when both of them are in the race, uh, I think Tancredo is the front-runner in that. And, and on the other side, on the Democratic side, 
I don't see how anybody catches Jared Polis, especially because of his war chest. When you're up, you know, by double digits at this point, um, you know, I think it's disappointing for the, the lieutenant governor. I think it's disappointing for Mike Johnson, who's raising a lot of money and going around the state, but hasn't picked up uh, the support that he needs. So there's still months and months to go. Um, but I think if you're not named Polis or Tancredo, you need a game-changing moment that makes you have a one-on-one -on -one with those front runners. Penn, what do you make of uh, the challenge ahead for uh, the folks who aren't post to credo in both primaries? So I, I like the point that Michael brought up, and I saw that Michael Johnson, with all the fundraising he's been doing, being in the race, not the longest, but near the longest, he was still pulling at the same rate that Donna Lynn was polling, who I think at that point in the game had gotten into the race maybe a couple weeks before the poll was taken. So is that disheartening, or are we reading way too much into a small poll uh, this early in the campaign? I think the latter. I think we're reading way too much into the small poll this early in the campaign for a basic reason, and it's a point Michael touched on. You, you've got a large field on both sides of the aisle, both Republican and Democrat. You've got a large number of candidates who are going to petition on and probably make the ballot. Uh, and so really what's going to happen is who turns out their respective base in the primary. What is interesting is, I'm not surprised with the polling. I mean, Tancredo and Polis have the largest name recognition among everybody in the race. So if you do a poll and people are going to say, yeah, I heard of this person, and that's the way it turns out. So that's not surprising. But I think the other dynamic at play here is both Polis and Tancredo are probably the two candidates their respective parties would least like to see as the nominee, because they're concerned that it en enhances the likelihood of the other side winning the general election. And, and I think that's an interesting dynamic here, and we'll have to see how the activists in the various parties deal with this. At one point, there was a pitch um, where people were saying, you know, Tom and everybody else ought to drop out so Walker Stapleton can have the Republican nomination. And Tom said, why? I'm ahead in every poll. Why should I drop out? Um, and similarly, Jared Polis is not going to hear similar pleas from Democrats saying who have told him you can't win statewide. He's like, well, so what? If I get the nomination, I got a 50-50 shot. And, and so that dynamic is at play here. And it's a very different time given both what's happening locally and nationally. So I'm not convinced this poll means very much right now. <laughs> I think you make a great point about the parties. I mean, it's they're different people and it's a different situation, but it's not that terribly different from what we saw nationally in the presidential race over two years ago, thinking, well, gosh, almost traditional Republicans saying, well, anybody but Trump, Trump wins, like, okay, he's our guy. The same thing with Democrats saying that's why you have the Bernie army is because, well, anybody else in this, and then they're faced with that situation. It's, it's going to be an interesting 2018. Uh, John, Denver is uh, definitely... I mean, there, there's Democratic uh, bases throughout Colorado, but Denver's the biggest one. Who has the edge in the Democratic race in Denver? Well, it's not only the, it's not only the base, it's the money. And I think Jared's going to have about 10 million bucks he's going to throw into this race. I mean, that's what people are, are saying. Walker Stapleton is on the, uh, is on the uh, CU uh, committee that released the report, which is kind of interesting as well. Um, I like Tom, you know, but he's, he's now wearing the Sturgis motorcycle caps, the ball caps like you get at the come and go. I, I want a president. I, I, I want a governor. I want, a, I want somebody who wears a dress hat. You know, if you're not going to wear a dress hat, the ball caps are, I love them, but I got a million of them. But you don't, that's not presidential, and that's not, and that's not gubernatorial, I guess. Um, 
Bottom line, I think Polis and, and Johnson uh, uh, are good on the Democratic side. Johnson, like you mentioned, he's he's a man on the move. I just don't know that he's got the name recognition that's going to stand up uh, with either Polis or um, or Tancredo. Patty, if you're in the other camps on both sides of the coin, are you worried or is this something to just be ignored? Well, I don't think you are going out to get a dress hat right now. <laughs> Look who got elected president of the United States wearing the worst ball caps ever. <laughs> you know, people are not voting based on ball caps, or maybe they are. We're exactly where we predicted we would be six months ago before this poll came out, which is... Tancredo and Polis have name recognition and they have fans. It's not, you know, name recognition can work both ways because people have opinions of Polis and they have opinions of Tancredo and a lot of them aren't going to vote for them. But there's a solid quarter of their party that will. And that's going to be enough probably to get them through the primary. So right now what you're wondering is who's out there strategizing can a third-party candidate jump in at a certain point if that is, for both parties, the worst-case scenario? Well, that's good. It's definitely going to be a fun year for us around this table. <laughs> Governor John Hickenlooper had to explain himself this week after he said that it would be a relief if Denver were not to win the Amazon sweepstakes. The governor said that he was joking, but that Amazon would want a city that understands the work ahead for this project. Penn, we are used to the Hickenlooper gaffes. It's his M.O. It's, it's part of his charm, frankly. But uh, was this honesty in the gaffe actually closer to what I think most of Colorado, at least some Denverites, feel about this issue? Uh, you know, I don't think it was a gaffe. I think he got caught off guard when people reacted, and so he apologized and made it sound like a gaffe. But I actually give the governor big props for, for saying that because I think that is exactly how a large segment of this state and this community feel. We have talked before about the impacts of gentrification and what it's done to this community. There are a number of people in this community who are scared half to death about with the housing shortage and the affordable and attainable housing shortages now and the problems with the schools and everything else with traffic. What in the world happens if, and I know it's going to be over time, but you're looking at adding 50,000 more people just by virtue of one employer. Um, we already have a transit system that doesn't work. Um, it, it, it's not going to get better because there are more people all of a sudden. And so I think the governor's honesty is, frankly, refreshing because it tells me that at least someone has taken a moment to pause and reflect and say, hmm, we kind of want this because you always want economic development, but, boy, is this more than we can really handle right now? John, was the governor caught being an honest Coloradan instead of being a politician? Well, you know, it, it, it's probably somewhere in between, uh, you know, at, at, at best. Um, and whether he was joking or not, um, you know, he probably, he probably articulated exactly what he really thought, you know, because people say what they think. Um, I, I just think that uh, now what he's done on the back end, or maybe he hasn't done it, but now the, uh, uh, the state um, Office of Economic Development has gotten involved, and now they're saying, oh, well, it may not be Denver proper. It could be just outside of Denver or someplace we could annex or something. So the, the, the bottom line, I think, is um, it would be good for Denver on one end, and as Penn articulated, it could be very bad in terms of traffic and housing and things of that nature. But um, with all the money that they're going to be dropping into the community if, if, it, if, if, if we do get it, I, I think a lot of those problems can be worked out. Patty, you've known John Hickelbo for a long time. Do you think he forgot that drinks weren't on the table this time? Well, 
it is a dry meeting at the city, city club. And you know, the city club is a really interesting group of people who care a lot about Denver. I've spoken to them. They ask really good questions. Clearly here they asked a good one. And it was Vintage Hickenlooper, but he's also right. Colorado, if it doesn't get Amazon, we're not suddenly going to go bust. I mean, frankly, it's not bad that if we lose it, we might have a chance to actually do some growth planning rather than suddenly dealing with this huge influx. What's most interesting about this comment is the Republicans, the party, and nationally came out and said, oh, we're going to we want to we want a candidate who's really going to support Amazon coming and do everything they can. Does that include what David would be saying, corporate welfare, the kind of corporate welfare we're offering? And let's Victor Mitchell, who has said he does not want to pay to get Amazon here. He wants Amazon to come, but he doesn't want anyone to pay. He's in an awkward position now with the party or the party's in an awkward position with him, because I think most of us agree if Amazon comes and pays its own way, we would be a lot uh, happier to get them here. We would not weep the same way we're going to weep if all of us who came here without being paid to come <laughs> have to put up with more traffic, higher costs, because we paid Amazon to join us. I can't imagine that Denver rolled out a lot of uh, red carpet tax breaks for Westward when it officially moved uh, to Denver. No, actually, surprisingly, no. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, uh, wrap it up for us, and what do you think the effect will be on Governor Hickenlooper beyond just today? Yeah, I mean, I don't think he was joking. I think he was being serious, and then he had to backpedal. And I think that's where he left himself open to some criticism is, you know, which way is it? Um, I think, personally, that they shouldn't block it from happening or try to, you know, work against it, but they shouldn't incentivize it either. Um, you know, the whole process, and you guys had a discussion about this last week, but the whole process, it is, it is corporate welfare. It is cronyism. Um, and you have states basically chasing around a big business, falling over themselves to give taxpayer money away in order to get it. Um, you know, I think our state is a great state. Companies like Amazon should want to be here. Um, and I'm glad that we're not giving, you know, offering billions of dollars, but we shouldn't be offering anything at all. And so I think it was a mistake what, what Governor Hickenlooper said. And, you know, the next big thing that Denver needs is a new quarterback for the Broncos. So let's not put Governor Hickenlooper in charge of that. <laughs> Probably a good call here. Let's get a quick take on this last one. The city of Denver and RTD have proposed a reconstruction design for the 16th Street Mall that is set to begin over the next two years. The plan would widen sidewalks, pushing transit lanes to the center of the street to enhance the visitor experience along the mall. John, your quick take on this, a good plan for Denver. Well, I think it's a, it's a decent plan, but I, I'm, I'm worried that we're going to have an east and west mall. You know, west of the DNF Tower will be okay, and back toward Broadway will be, uh, let's put everybody that we don't want down on the other end over here. And so I think at some point, at some point, if you, you know, if you're just widening the sidewalks and you're squeezing the buses into a tighter, a tighter uh, quadrant, so to speak, um, you're going to still have, you're, you're still going to have issues up and down the mall because you have, it's, it's open, it's free to the public, anybody can come. Patty, people have been calling it Denver's Main Street. Is this the right thing for Denver's Main Street? Well, I'm glad they decided against moving the mall buses to 15th and 17th, yep. those beautiful thoroughfares where you can spend several days just trying to get across <laughs> town. So at least putting them together in the middle makes some sense. I know people are down in the mall. I like it. I like that you have this artery going right through town, and now there's a reason to go through town from the new Civic Center down to Union Station. And I think if we could get some new businesses in and maybe get rid of a few souvenir stores for some <laughs> useful spots, the mall would be looking a lot better.
Michael, what do you think about the plans that were released? I think they looked like a better design moving the, the trains in, but is that worth the $130 million <laughs> that this could cost to do? I don't know. Somebody's got to come up with a study on that. But I also don't think it helps safety. you still got to walk across uh, the whole thing anyway. So I, I think more, more needs to be looked into. Penn, you've been a part of a lot of grand plans like this, release the public, putting some real thought into it. What do you think of the designs you've seen? It's better than where we are now. Uh, but the key, there will be three keys no matter what they do and how they re redo the mall. Number one, you've got to have safety because as we've talked about several times on this program, there are some blocks where people feel they're taking their lives in their hands if they're walking down the street. So the city's got to address that. Number two, the visual appeal's got to improve. So as Patty said, you know, you, you've got to change the look of it. And number three, the city has to come up with a comprehensive plan to revitalize the mall, not just rebuild it. You know, it's a free country. We have souvenir shops, but you need retail, real honest-to-goodness retail or commercial presence on the mall, and to John's point, at every block. So it doesn't feel like part of it's the mall ghetto and part of it's the mall Cherry Hills. Mm -hmm. You know, the whole mall has to be an attractive amenity because it's tied together. We're down to our last two minutes. It's time for our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. Patty, start us off. Another uh, law enforcement agent being shot and killed in Denver the same week that the man who killed an RTD security officer was sentenced to life. These are homegrown problems. These are not outside terrorism. It's people we are not able to handle on our own here. Michael. Uh, Representative Rosenthal and Senator Court want to send a 25 cent uh, per plastic bag tax to the people. Uh, the budget went up $2 billion, and it's still legislators want more money. Penn. <laughs> it just gets so disheartening to now hear that contrary to what we were told, um, there was an effort afoot to fire the special prosecutor months ago Despite the denials and, and disclaimers, you've got several sources saying, no, it was part of the plan, and as a matter of fact, chief counsel was going to quit if the president went through with it. We need to get through all of these investigations and let the chips fall where they may. John. Just on a national tip, just uh, uh, glad that uh, the uh, gymnastics uh, doctor was uh, given what he uh, deserves. It, 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 what he really should get is a cell with uh, guys who hate short eyes. All right. We have less than a minute. Let's say something nice about somebody very quickly. Patty. Denver campaigned to get the outdoor retailer and snow show exhibit here, and it is great. If you go downtown, you will be amazed at how even lively the mall looks. Michael. It's school choice week, so uh, school choice I think is a good thing for kids, and Colorado's headed in the right direction on education. Penn. Uh, props again to Governor Hickenlooper. I'm glad that someone is at least articulating that we need to be sensitive in terms of what we're doing to our community with some of our major economic development efforts. John. Good friend, Fatty Taylor. Roland Fatty Taylor passed away, had more than 300 people at his funeral. He was an old Denver Nugget, played in the ABA, had a lot of clubs in Denver, and he was a party guy, and we'll miss him. That is all the time we have for Colorado Inside Out this week. As always, log on to Facebook or Twitter for CIO segments past and present. You can also find our podcast on all the platforms. I'm Dominic Dizzuti. For all of us here at Colorado Public Television, good night.